Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, and I am really, really excited to have my next guest on to talk about a topic uh, that I've been a little bit vocal about, which just sort of goes against the grain, and that is why don't you need to become your own RIA if you're a multi-billion dollar producer? Um, and so today I've, I had uh, Chip Munn on. He, Chip is the CEO and founder of a group called Signature Wealth. And, you know, he went through this and he wrote a great article that he forwarded to me. And I thought this was this would be a tremendous topic, um, you know, hearing it from the horse's mouth, right? Hearing it from a multi-billion dollar producer on why they didn't go uh, the RIA route, because isn't that the chic thing and the, you know, the thing to do nowadays? Um, so, Chip, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing great, Frank. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, I, I think this is going to be a great topic and, um, you know, a little bit against the grain because this is tends to uh, be what people um, don't think you should be doing. So for the audience, maybe just go through a little bit of your background. Right. We I know we've talked and but sure. I'd like to get get have them understand where you're coming from and your perspective. Right. And uh, and then a little bit about about signature. Right. Wh- sure. What? How big is it? And 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 then the thought process and why you decided, you know, to basically not form your own RIA, um, you know, at two billion dollars, as the article as the article says. So so tell us a little about yourself. Sure. Yeah. So I'm a former sixth grade teacher. Uh, took a sales job back in the late '90s, uh, or what I thought was a sales job. Read a book on mutual funds. Uh, my family had literally lost the family farm, so I had an interest in estate planning, uh, but I live in South Carolina, went to Clemson, go Tigers. And um, the University of South Carolina at the time was where the law school was. And uh, they aren't real kind on Clemson elementary ed students uh, getting into law school. And so read a book on mutual funds, thought that the concept of financial planning, which really interested me uh, in terms at the time of estate planning, was another way to go about being able to do that. So um, w- within about six months, Frank uh, realized that as a 23-year-old former teacher, I had all of my friends and families and my family's friends money, and um, while uh, and that wasn't going to be enough to support me. And so my interest was in financial planning. There was another young advisor in our office, he and his dad, uh, who were your stereotypical uh, stockbrokers. At the time, they, they were interested in investments and I was interested in planning. And so we decided we would serve all the. I, I convinced them really to let me um, do financial planning with them. And 25 years later, uh, here we are. So my partner, Scott, and I have been together for 25 years. Um, you know, fast forward, uh, we had built a practice at Hilliard Lions, a regional broker dealer uh, back in 2016 we decided that we wanted more flexibility. So we decided that we would go independent, started Signature. We also had a, a vision, if you will, to be able to have multiple offices, which was not something that we could do in 
kind of our previous life. And so always thought that that would be in Myrtle Beach. We had an advisor, a partner in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We still don't have an office in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, you know, seven years later. But um, so in 2016, we came over, joined Raymond James Financial Services. And from there, we had about, at the time, 280 million, uh, give or take. Um, since then, so for the audience, I don't mean to interrupt, but just for the sure. audience, because uh, because we know the sort of the nomenclature and some of the acronyms and everything. But so RJFS, so Raymond James Financial Services, that's the independent channel side of of Raymond James, not the not the W two side, and and at this point, not the RIA channel either. Correct. Yeah, and I, you know, for me, again, that that was a going from signing the back of a paycheck to signing the front of a paycheck. It's a very different, and it was really quick that we learned what a different world it was because our team and our office, going back to the regional BD days, they were the same thing. Our entire office was one team. We had an operations manager, a compliance person, so. Um, yeah, you know, we we ran a P and L. I mean, it, it, but it's a it's a lot different. There's a big difference, as you know, Frank, between running a P and L and 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 going. They used to call it below the line. It's like, oh, well, that's below. If if you're you're operating your branch at a loft, it was uh, oh, well, that expense is below the line. Well, in, in this world, below the line is your checking account. And so, <laughs> uh, again, just a rude awakening in terms of. Just the differences, uh, even from running running your own PL. And so that combined with the fact that I went to my first Raymond James Financial Services uh, conference and there were 4,000 people as compared to there were only 400 advisors at my old company. It was just a it was a big culture shock for me. I wanted the the flexibility, but I also wasn't accustomed to um yeah, being the only person in the room other than my recruiter that I knew. And so we decided that part of what we wanted to do is to be able to recreate uh, that regional culture, that community. Um, and Raymond James gave us an opportunity to do that. So over the last six, you know, our first year, we were kind of getting over, you know, getting uh, transitioning yeah. our business and dealing with that. Uh, and then for three years, we did a lot of recruiting and brought on some uh, another advisor from our previous company, s- some others who kind of affiliated with us for kind of back or middle office services. And and now, and, and so we did that for three years. COVID came. We decided, like a lot of people, to focus on our existing clients, uh, that being our advisors, but also our, um, you know, our end clients. And to focus on that, and so for the last three years, that's that's what we've done. But during that period of time, we've grown to just right at two billion dollars uh, in assets under management, fifteen offices in North and South Carolina and Kentucky, and um, about fifty-five total folks. So it's a it's been a good ride so far. But to your point, one of the things when you get to certain benchmarks and and honestly anymore i don't necessarily know what those are i just know where we are uh, people started talking about well if you're doing a certain amount of revenue or if you have a certain number of advisors or if it's a certain number of aum you've got to be an ria like it's just a you know the conversation was it's a no-brainer so um yeah yeah so last year we decided we'd take a look yeah so you um so this is something that i think um in 
some of it's you know you made a comment about below the line um these this whole idea of um you have you know once you hit a billion dollars you need to have your own ria because now you have scale everyone talks about scale and you can create better technology and you can best of best of breed and technology all that stuff right and i'm not saying that that's not true right like i think I yeah, think that's either. one of the things that we should under we should neither of us are saying that that that's not true. It it right. is, but it just might not be for you. Right? That's the different. So tell me yeah. you you were talking to me about your um as you started this process how you you were doing research on your iPad and your and your and your iPhone and all that stuff and it sort of dawned on you what was happening. So t- tell me a little bit about your thought process. Well again, so coming into 2020 to yeah again we we hired a consultant we one of the cool things about raymond james as a company in general is that we have the ability should we choose to to change the vision so we we could have we still can i suppose transition to the ria channel of raymond james without having to um go through a lot of the pain of of doing it at, at a different custodian so we had that as an option we let raymond james know they were um very uh, transparent and kind in that process. There's a, a whole internal deal. But in addition to that, we also hired an external consultant to come in and look at uh, just the financial component of, of things. And uh, after going through that, Frank, one of the things that, uh, and again, I think what I told you and I wrote about in the article is I was doing all this research on an iPhone, an iPad, and a MacBook and one of the biggest complaints that we get is, oh, it's a closed system and you have to build all your, your open architecture on technology and you're going to build all your own stack. And here I was doing all my research on a closed system, all these Apple products. And Apple itself is probably the ultimate form of simplicity by building a, a closed system. And the reason that I use Apple products for at least all of my personal stuff is because it works. It just works. It's simple. It all integrates together. And again, that was just a big realization for me that while I have lots of friends in the RIA space who are talking about building out their tech stack and when they're going to bill in advance or in arrears and how do you make sure that you're you're not miscrediting somebody or just a lot of that stuff. And it reminded me a lot of what I understand the the uh, Android marketplace to be, right? Anybody can put an app on there. There are all these things. And some of them work well and some of them don't. And it, it just, again, in listening to that as part of my research, I just wanted, I wanted things that work. I wanted them to work reliably. I wanted them to work together. And I think it was Jobs that said simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And I think that, again, as an advisor, a big part of what, we need in terms of service and um, our clients and taking care of them is you need the right tools. Uh, but in reality, Frank, you and I both know we're not using 3000 tools. Most of us on any given day running a relatively efficient practice have three or four tools that we use on a regular basis. And so what I found, again, as part of the research and looking at the options was that what we had worked well enough. Is it bre- best in breed? I don't know. Raymond James might make that argument. I would say that it's more than good enough for what we needed to be able to serve our clients. And so, now again, a big a big part of it was what's the motivation? What when when people talk about 
you need to make a move. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I would almost throw it back to you. Uh, they're usually talking about economic. Right. Well, first of all, as it relates to technology, I, and I get to see everything, and I'd like to expand on the type of research that you did, because I think some people are probably wanting to know, like, well, what what, what research did you do, right? Sure. What, what, what was the process you went through? Um, but I, you know, I do believe that Raymond James's tech, um, when you look at a turnkey, sort of all, all in, um, are you missing anything kind of thing? I think Raymond James is probably top, top one or two in my, in my opinion, uh, in the industry in terms of ease of use, um, the way it looks, the way it operates, interaction with clients, uh, accessibility, both on the advisor side and the and, and and the client you know client facing uh, version of that, which is which was equally important, right? Because it's about client experience. Um, so that's my my opinion there. And I tell people sure. that all the time when someone says, "Hey, what's the best tech out there?" And I usually say, "Well, you know, you know, without having to customize and build it yourself, you know, Raymond James is is right up there." And candidly, uh, Ameriprise is right up there too. Ameriprise has really tremendous tech. Um, but and then people are surprised, They're like, really. Like, oh yeah, both Raymond James and, and Ameriprise, they've done a good job and sort of again, it's a cl- it's a closed system, but they've done a tremendous job uh building closed system. So can you just talk through some of the things that you went through? You must have, you know, you're a pretty analytical guy and you're pretty, you know, you're a smart guy. So you must have had a checklist or things that you walked through that were must-haves. Hey, if we were going to do this, we we have to have X, Y, or Z, or it's got to look like whatever. Like, what was the process that you went through and the things that you looked at um, in deciding to do it or not to do it? Sure. So, um, well, first, I'm a big Dan Sullivan, who not have person. So uh, that is a, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to take any, if not all of the credit for the process, because one of the things that we did um, several years ago was we brought in a chief operating officer. His name's Barry Dedge. He was on the leadership team at Hilliard when we were there. To Because one of the things, as you know, there's a big difference between leadership and management and, and bringing in somebody with experience. Barry's uh, experience specifically from his time at Hilliard was in technology. So we had a a head start, if you will, on that in terms of uh, even relationships with other, uh, because if we, if you moved from Raymond James, uh, again, the, the independent channel to the RIA channel, the technology is the same. Then it comes to, well, what if we were to do it outside that? So if you were to ask me um, what things I think are kind of at core, you, you got to have a CRM. Everything operates off of that. You're going to have to have performance reporting. If you're in an RIA, you're going to have to have billing, account aggregation. A lot of it depends on whether you have multi-custodian or one custodian as to how many different things talk together. You've got your uh, conferencing technology, whether that's Teams or Zoom. You've got, um, again, scheduling. Like If you look at the, and again, for me, uh, when I look at, uh, and again, I, I'm not I'm not here to talk about Raymond James. That that's not the point. Yeah. But what I know is, and part of the reason that we joined Raymond James seven years ago was at the time they were spending over 250 million dollars a year on various forms of tech. Didn't even get into cybersecurity, which is a whole different level of of risk. But 
But now I, we were just at the Elevate conference. It's like six or seven hundred million dollars a year as, as an entity that they're spending. And so, yeah, uh, it's there's always going to be something new and cutting edge. And believe me, I, I love that stuff. So, so when you looked at if you were looking at you know doing it yourself and whether you're looking at Schwab or TD or you know oh, probably at the time could have been right could have been Schwab or TD um, if it was a couple of years ago uh, Fidelity Pershing um, what was it that you weren't finding right like what what we get the idea that you 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 found what you, you had what you had at, at Raymond James but you clearly didn't find something you know, something on the outside, what were those things that you, if you were talking to Schwab, you know, that you went, yeah, you know, this is not going to work for me. It's it's not that you couldn't find it, right? Because it's out there and all, all those folks will let you have it. Um, but it, it wasn't better enough. Like it, it's a big disruption to change, to change firms, to change business models, to change any of that kind of thing. And it disrupts, your team, it disrupts your clients. And for me, it really came down in my heart of hearts, Frank, to saying, all right, if I could put these two or three things together, because again, based on my, it's not a Schwab specific, for example, thing. Schwab yeah. would just let me have, they have some services or, or offerings, but then they would let me have all these other things. And so would Fidelity. And so, so it, it became a, all these things are available, but but are they better enough to put my team and my clients through a major disruption? When we left the regional broker dealer to become independent, it was worth it for everybody. It was a it, you go through it on a probably y'all have a team on a daily basis going through it. It's hard. It's not easy for a little while, but then you settle in and, and you're assuming you're making a change. Your team's better off. Your client that was a, that was definitely the case for us, but in this case, it's a major change. You're, you're all these back office things. Unless you're hiring your own people, they aren't um, they aren't things that we're trained to do. And so it's a major change. And if you're taking, unless you're hiring an entirely new team to run it, those are the same people who are looking after your clients and fielding client phone calls and dealing with market volatility. And it wasn't so much that you couldn't find things other places. You can. It's, is it really worth it to the client experience? Uh, again, it depends on where you are. Um, but, but a big thing for us was it wasn't worth it enough to put all those stakeholders in, uh, yeah, in a state of transition and, and potentially turmoil. Yeah, when I do some of the economics and do some comparisons for for our clients, and we and we look at the RIA side, and then we compare it to a sort of a, a more cap, I'm gonna say captive, but an independent broker dealer, right? So an independent broker dealer versus an RIA, you know, there's definitely a a differential in economics. But I I talk to our clients about what is what is that? How do you view that spread? And the way I view that spread is by giving it up, by not going down that road, right? And then having to spend all the time because you as the owner are responsible for all of those things. When the SEC walks into your office, right? They want you. Yes, they're going to talk to your ops guy, but they want you because you're you're where the buck stops. 
And that could be no, majorly no. disruptive. And so I look at that spread, whether it's three, four, five points, whatever the spread is, right? As a reinvestment back in you and your team, because it's by you not having to do those things, you can go and do what you do really well. Right. So Dan Sullivan, right, right, strategic coach and all that stuff, right? Right people, right seats and all that good stuff. And um, so I, I totally firmly believe in that. And that's why I I think that not everybody's cut out to do that, do it. And um, and you might be saving or picking up five points, but you it may cost you a lot more than that in the long run if you're spending all of your time um dealing with the the operational side compliance and not going out and meeting clients and, and doing what you did really well to build the business in the first place. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I heard somebody say once, everybody can multiply and add, nobody can divide and subtract. And I took that to heart. And I, I think that's the case. You, you, There may be a spread initially, and there may be a spread on paper. And again, it's not either of our position to say what people should or shouldn't do. That That's not the point of the conversation. There may be a spread, but it's important to understand, again, what all those things are and what the costs are. If you're not going to be the one doing them, then you're going to have to hire a, again, if you if you're at a place that does your billing, you're going to have to have somebody who does billing. If you're you're at a place who does, you know, who who basically funnels down a lot of the accounting, you're going to have to have a, a again, that's a completely different set of skills maybe than your operations manager when you're in a uh, yeah. you know, in, in a different setup. And so again, it's it's not better or worse necessarily. I guess more my point was it may be good for some people, but it's not good for everybody. And the only thing I ever heard, Frank, was that everybody should do that. Like, this is the thing. When you get to us, like, why would they still, and again, I'm not even talking about us, right? Why would a team stay at a wirehouse? They should just go, and, and you and I both know that that's a spectrum that you, you have to pick and choose what it is you're willing to do yourself. And, and again, wh- where I came down, honestly, was – I decided that whatever that spread was that you're talking about um, was that it was my job as the CEO to figure out how to get our investments worth out of our relationship with Raymond James. It, it, that became right. my responsibility. Like this is an investment that we're making in the same way that we we would hold accountable somebody that we were, um, you know, th- that we hired. Yeah, my job is to go in and figure yeah. out what the resources are that make it worth it, and um, right to make up that to make up that difference, right? Well, they, they say in marriage, Frank, that uh, the grass is green on the other side because they water it and you don't. And I, I think that there's a, a a lot of similarity. And sometimes it's easy to get, uh, you know, uh, sideways, unhappy, complacent, continue. yeah. Whatever. And, and and so you think that the solution is out there. And it can be. It might be. But it's also, at least for me, it's important. It was important to say, all right, but when I compare that to what I have, could, could I make up some of the difference in that spread that we're talking about by actually just you, better using what's available? Right, right. How do you feel about... Um... Yeah, because you obviously must have looked, and I know you even looked at again. What, what the audience needs to understand is that you could have easily just slid over to the Raymond James RIA channel, right? And it would have been not—it still would have been work, but it would have been significantly easier than moving to Schwab or TD or whoever else, right? So, like that was a decision, also. But how do you feel about 
not having a multi-custody because that's the other thing everyone talks about. Oh my God, you have to be multi-custody if you want to build a multi-billion dollar business, which I also totally disagree with. Not, not that I don't think some, again, not that I don't think that some people need to do that and there's opportunity there, but I sure. don't think that you have to be multi-custody in order to build a multi-billion dollar business and you're proving it. So well, to my knowledge, the largest team in South Carolina is with Merrill Lynch. They're three times our size, and right. they're doing just fine. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, my, my, but where it comes back to for me is who says that it has to be? And again, multi, I, I get it. Yeah. You could make that argument. Best I know from the folks that, that I know who are in the, again, $500 million and up space in the RIA channel, many of them have the bulk of their assets with one custodian. It's not a third, a third, and a third. It's 80%, 10%, 10%. So it is a, again, what are you trying to do? If you're moving to a uh, a platform to be able to recruit, and you want to say, for example, Schwab is is the biggest, and if I want to be able to bring over, like, what are you solving for? But for me, I think that gets into, and, and the same answer is, Liquidity. Liquidity is not the only, and the valuation and all that stuff is not the only thing. It's not the client, Frank, telling the advisor that they need to be multi custodian. And right. it's not Schwab oh, either. That, it, that Schwab is so not true. Well, Schwab is telling Schwab, yeah. yeah, Schwab is no, telling them they actually. Unless there was somebody else. Right, right, exactly. Schwab is like, oh, no, you need to have, you need to be multi custody, bring everything over here. Right, and then then don't be multi custody. Just use Schwab. exactly. And and again, going back, do my clients really want multiple custodians? Is there a value to that? Maybe there is for a very small segment of people in my life, but it wasn't enough to again disrupt all of the people. The people who benefit most financially from a multiple expansion are the owners. The people who do a tremendous amount of work in the transition are not necessarily owners. So, again, from my standpoint, the question then was, was it the client? Is the client telling us we need to be multi-custodian? Nope. It's, the, it's again, the, the echo chamber of the industry saying, because my client, as far as I know, uh, I've never lost a client because we weren't multi in 25 years because we weren't multi-custodial. They just want to know that the custodian that you have is financially secure, that they can trust, you know, that their money's going where um, where it's supposed to. I just I don't think that's a client concern. No, I, I agree. I think it's um, most of it. And I think there's I think a lot of advisors have this sort of this FOMO, right? Like fear of missing out, like they're going to come across a prospect and the person's going to be, you know, married to Schwab and they're not going to be able to make a good argument about the value of whether it's Raymond James or any other broker dealer that they're on, whether it's LPL, it doesn't matter, right? Whether, you know, so it's it's their the advisor's inability to articulate to the client why being on on, you know, with LPL or Raymond James or Meriprise or it doesn't matter, Merrill Lynch, right? Like wh- why it's about the advisor, the advisor's advice, the experience that they're going to get, and that they don't need to have you know, some of the accounts at, at at Raymond James and some of the accounts at Schwab and maybe a few accounts at Pershing or whatever. And I think that's, again, another misnomer that um, that people go into. You you made a comment, and I want to 
in the interest of time, I want to talk about this because you made a comment about this. So clearly you went, you, you thought about this. There's also this whole idea of, oh, uh, and there was an article recently published about uh, the valuations and you have to have your own RIA to get the best valuation for your business, um, which I also think is not true because I see what's happening with, with large practices at Raymond James or at Ameriprise or LPL. And they're not individual, you know, they're not their own RIAs, but they're getting massive valuations. Um, again, not that that's important, uh, but you write you write about that a little bit in your article, and you talk about a li- liquidity event isn't the only thing to solve for. So, what what was your thought process there when you were thinking about that? Well, a lot of a lot of what I was hearing, right, it, it comes down to having unlimited choice, basically, right, and that's one. So then you say, well, all right, well that's that's not a primary driver of decision-making for me. Then the other, again, kind of industry argument is, well, everybody talks about enterprise value and you've got to build a scalable business. And again, neither of us is going to dispute that. But it also, we also, again, there's a lot of talking out of both sides of your mouth, right? We want to talk about how we need to be multi-custodian, but we're also the same people who say, my clients aren't clients of the firm, they're clients of mine. Same is true, kind of that same thought process or or duality kind of comes in when it comes to, to evaluate. The only reason to you know to either stay or go, it's not all about EBITDA. But that's uh, there's not been any conversation, uh, again, with the exception, I have heard several of your episodes where you kind of touch on it about the fact that, again, how about solving for happiness? How about solving for, um, yeah, again, the concept of community and being part of something bigger than just you? Those can, for a lot of people, can um, be just as important as this ultimate value. And you and I have also talked about the fact that for a lot of people, if you build a good business, and and again, I, I feel like we have, and and our hope is, to continue to as we build out with advisors who, um, you know, who join our community to help them do the same to build a business you don't want to retire from. I, I mean, the liquidity right. event comes when you're ready to cash out. And if uh, you know, I'm 47. I've been doing this for 25 years. Uh, my son just started with us. He's still studying for his exams, and my goal is to practice longer with him than without him then what am I in a hurry to retire for? And I think there are a lot of people that uh, I've, I've heard you do the math of you're giving up a couple of years of, of I mean, the folks can go back and you, you've probably said it a dozen times that what are we in a hurry to sell for? Why not instead build a practice you're not in a rush to retire from? Yeah, we, we were talking, uh, I was having a conversation with a large team the other day and, um, we're talking about retirement and what our what our wives think and all that other stuff. And I said, I don't really want to retire. I just want to work differently, right? You know, it's um, sure. I think you, you see people in this industry, and a lot of people. You, you know, you spent your whole career in this industry. I spent my whole career. Everybody, and then you know, all of a sudden, you you do some deal because you got enamored by the big check, which really was just really that you know seven years of upfront payments um, on your business, which is. You seven, eight, whatever you can do the math, but it's generally about that. Um, but then your what you've known your whole career is essentially over. And um, I've seen a lot of people not handle that well. 
emotionally, you know, mentally, emotionally, um, they, they're not used to not going in the office and all the other and talking to their, their clients who are now their friends, right? Because once you retire, there's things you can't do anymore and conversations you can't have with, with your clients about the, about the market, their portfolio, their positions, uh, because you're, you're violating certain rules. So, um, so I, I do think that um, valuation and people need to not necessarily get enamored by those things. Build a practice and a life that you don't want to retire from. There's a saying that says, build a build a life that you don't want to take a vacation from, right? That's right. Um, build a business that you don't want to retire from. Sure. And there's no reason you can't just be the owner, right? You can just be the owner and not the operator. Going back to the, the E-Myth, entrepreneur versus right. manager versus technician, it, it's not one or the other. And again, a lot of us went independent because we wanted flexibility and, and, but then to start talking about private equity or, or taking on, uh, like I, one of the reasons that I don't have any interest in private equity is because I didn't want a boss. Like I did, I, you know, you, you wanted freedom and flexibility and we have to understand that a lot of the folks coming into the industry uh, and again, good, good for people. What if it's your time, have at it, but yeah. Um, but for others, but if of someone us gives who you, if still, someone's giving you a big check, if someone's giving you a big check, they're your boss. They want to return on their investment sooner or later, and so you, right. you have to be you have to be mindful of them. So, can you talk about you? You mentioned this, and it's sort of along these lines. Um, and your quote yesterday was, um, "Do life with cool people." Yeah. So, can you just talk? Uh, I want to I want to talk just for, for a few minutes about about signature as a company, right? Sure. So, so moving off of, you know, cause do life with cool people. We talked about, um, we sort of went down a rabbit hole yesterday in terms of masterminds and some of the, uh, some of the people that you know, that I know and what you're doing with strategic coach and stuff like that. Can you just talk about that as a cultural thing that you're doing at signature and why that to you is really important? Sure. Well, I, at the end of the day, going back to how I felt in that room on the, um, when I made the transition to a bigger company, despite the fact that I wanted freedom and flexibility, I, at the end of the day, I, I've, I've come to terms with the fact what I wanted wasn't independence per se. It was flexibility. I didn't like that the place that I was, you used the term, I think, captive. I could use the word constrained. You could be in too constrained an environment. And what you really want, as I have looked back on it, what I really wanted was flexibility. I wanted more flexibility than I had. And, but the feeling that I got when I walked in that room and, and the only person I literally knew was my recruiter. I hadn't even met my regional person yet. I mean, again, I had met Scott Curtis and some of the, the folks on the home office, but I didn't know anybody in there. And it was lonely. It was like being the new kid at a different school on the first day of seventh grade, right? You're all awkward and, you're still trying to figure yourself out and now you're meeting all these new people and they don't know you and, and, and they all know each other and it's super weird. And I didn't want to do that. And so um, when we started thinking about that, one, one of the things I, I told you, I, I had a client ask me or a prospective client ask me what I did. And my answer was, I do life with cool people. Like when I think about it, like all the other stuff, what I feel really grateful for is the ability that, to your point earlier, my clients have become my friends, my now teammates and, and our other advisors. 
And, and so that really what we wanted to do was run our run run signature well group in a similar way to the, the way that we run a practice where you're you want to get together with people like these are our people and, and that word community is a big deal but going back to cool when people would say well what does that mean right it's like oh you want to do business with cool people what's cool even mean so i decided I would look at what our core values were and try to at least make it into some sort of acronym. So for me, it stands for collaborative, open-minded and authentic, others focused and drama free because none of us needs more drama um, and loyal and accountable that cool. And and that's how then we look and we say, uh, are you a cool person? Because if you are, uh, and again, I'm, I'm a Gen X guy. That was just a word I used casually a lot. Yeah. But by then turning around and tying it to when we're looking for uh, a new team member, when I'm evaluating a client, uh, a prospective client, those are the things that I want to look for. And so when you have the ability, Frank, as, as I know, because again, I follow you on LinkedIn, so I see all your posts of you and your team doing stuff together. When you get to do life with cool people, you want to spend time together. And so a big part of our commitment is to build in that community and doing things like, you know, Ray, we have, we do events around the Raymond James event. So when we're at the big, we just got back from Elevate and there were 25 of us inside the, so you had people to meet for breakfast and for dinner and to go bowling and, and you had a, a smaller community inside, you know, you, you had a city inside the state or a state inside the country. I mean, you had a smaller yeah. group to identify with. But then on top of that, a big thing for us is we've started doing three masterminds a year where we get together for a couple of days, advisors only, and share best practices and get to know each other. And w- what we have found is you know, my goal when we talk about community and cool people is Anytime somebody joins our community for the entire community to get better. And I I think that that is, uh, again, what it's all about is that when they get better by being associated with these other folks, whether it's uh, an area of expertise that they don't have or um, a point of view from practice management, but also the group gets better because you're bringing in somebody new with fresh ideas there's not a, a lot of group things. And I just got back from our most recent, we had 15 advisors at, uh, we rented a couple of lake houses that were side by side and spent a couple of days together. And one of the neatest things, uh, Frank, is about half of the advisors there were under the age of 40 and watching um, the older advisors pour into the younger one and vice versa. Uh, was really neat. And I, I think that's something that our industry really needs, um, n- not just from a training standpoint, right? It's not just a how to make cold calls or door knock or whatever. It's really that pouring into them, I, I think, is uh, is awesome and pouring into each other. Yeah. I see some of that in the industry, but not really enough. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of advisors around the country and I talk about, sort of personal development and, and, and a lot of them sort of look at me funny or they get uncomfortable, you know, Oh my God, I have to be authentic. Um, and I have to, you know, like, yeah. And, but I think it's missing in our, in our industry. And 
and I appreciate the fact that you you do those things. You would you you attend those events. You're bringing people together. You're you're doing for others, um, which is which is great. So it's sort of in wrapping it up here because this has been a great conversation. Uh, but I want to I want to uh, give you a minute here to when you talk about doing for others and you mentioned recruiting and you've brought advisors on and you have multiple offices, right? So w- what kind of advisors are you looking? Uh, are, you know, if there's an advisor out there that is looking for something like this and like, wow, I like that. I like that guy. Like, you know, you know, what are you looking for in advisors that are coming to you and, um, you know, speaking to the audience, you know, this is sort of like your opportunity to tell them a little bit about, you know, maybe why joining signature is a good idea. And, um, but what are you looking for in, in, in cool people? We know cool people, right. Um, but, but as advisors, what is it that you're looking for where you've, where you seem like, where you can help those people the best? Yeah, and well, and at the end of the day, that's that's what it's always been was the ability to. Yeah, we built it originally to help our practice. These were all the things that I needed to to operate day to day. Our ideal uh, community member, yeah, you know, our, our the ideal person uh, that we're built to serve is somebody between fifty and two hundred fifty million dollars, wanting to uh, to grow to some extent, um, but who. Uh, Oftentimes, most of the advisors that we uh, have found that we can help best come from a constrained environment, right? They, they And they want more flexibility. They don't necessarily want to be, we can call it independent, but they don't want to do it alone. And so, um, yeah, may, maybe they're in a an office by themselves and it's easy to feel disconnected. And so I, I think that where we are is, for advisors who want to grow, even if I just talked to uh, an advisor from a, a captive or a constrained firm last week who wants to transition because they want more flexibility, the policies of the firm have gotten a little too restrictive. Maybe they don't like some of the social things that are getting kind of, they feel forced upon them. They're not down for that. But they also like the culture that they're in, in terms of of some togetherness for that person. Uh, and, and he wants to, uh, yeah, he's in his early 60s, wants to run a practice for another 10 years and figure out succession. You know, so grow the, he wants to grow from, call it 700 to a million. Great. Let's grow it. And then you can sell it. You can sell it to us if you want to, but it's a, I think that's the, it's the, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It's that advisor who is, um, yeah, who believes we're better together. That's, that's what we believe. Okay. And so where do they, if someone's looking to find out some more information on your firm, where would they go? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, they can find me personally. They're welcome to reach out to me personally. They can find me on LinkedIn um, or they can go to our website, uh, signaturewealth.com. Uh, we're pretty easy to find in terms of that. And at the end of the day, Frank, I, I think, or at least I hope folks will realize from this conversation. Um, yeah. I just want to see people end up where they, where they're supposed to, if we're a good fit, great. Uh, if not, um, you know, it's all good. It's all good. I yeah. mean, that, that's what, and again, I really encourage folks to use uh, you guys or somebody like you who, shows them options. I mean, that's how we ended up where we are in even after the research has been the perfect place for us, but it's because we went through a process. Somebody showed us multiple options. We looked at 
And, uh, and we ended up in the right place. And I firmly believe that, again, it doesn't make sense to me for folks to feel like they got to figure this out on their own. I would highly encourage them to engage somebody, um, yeah, to be able to show you all the options in the same way that we do clients. Well, I, I appreciate that very much. Um, and thank you for your time. This was this was really good. I, we covered a lot of a couple of different topics that um which were which was great, but it just really gets my listeners sort of in the in the head of a of a successful practitioner who's built a multi-billion dollar company um and, and doing it in a way that most people uh today, you know, don't think they that you can do it that way. Clearly, you're doing it, you're having success. Um, and it's it's tremendous. So uh, for the audience, thank you very much for listening. Um, if you're listening and you weren't watching, you can go check us out on, on, on our YouTube channel, which is Advisor Talk with Frank LaRose on our YouTube channel. You can see uh, see, see Chip and his, his office back there. And he's um, just a regular guy like all of us, um, built, built a great business uh, through trust, honesty, transparency, and uh, just wanted to do business with cool people. So um, I love the acronym, which is awesome. Uh, So thank you very much, Chip. I appreciate it. And I look forward to doing some business with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts. (laughs) 